Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I said all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the words and nerds podcast on this podcast we chat about books the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world i'm your host danny b today i welcome pip harry who appeared on episode 39 years and years ago on the words and nerds podcast australian author copywriter and journalist her adult novels include i'll tell you mine head of the river and because of you and have been shortlisted for the cbca children's book of the year awards victorian premieres literary award and queensland literary awards her first middle grade novel the little wave won the 2020 children's book council of australia book of the year award for younger readers that's very impressive pip welcome back Hi, Danny. I'm so thrilled to be back after all these years. I think it was 2018. Yeah, that sounds right. So I started yep. the pod in October 17, 2017, and then I looked back today and I'm like, oh, 39. We're now inching to 400. So <laughs> it was a really long time ago, but you know how it doesn't feel that long ago? Like I still remember our conversation. I still remember that we talked about Because of You, <laughs> and it, it doesn't seem that long ago. It doesn't really, but we were just babies then. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so youthful. <laughs> and today we're here to talk about Are You There, Border. This is just a glorious book and I want to talk about lots of things, particularly, you know, the little nod to Judy Bloom. I grew up reading Judy Bloom as well. So I want to talk about all the special things for this book. But can you help us out with an elevator pitch for maybe those who haven't gotten their hands on it yet? A dreaded elevator pitch. So... Mm. Just preface this by saying that this is the first time I've talked about this book, so I'm a little... Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's see how we go. So Are You There, Buddha? does have that nod to Judy Bloom. I think it's an Australian um, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. It's about B Valentine, who's in her first year of high school at Crescent Bay, 
um, at the beaches and her mum is in an ashram in India. Her stepmom, Kath, is trying to connect with her but really failing. Uh, she swims for the Crescent Bay Sharks and she's looking to, to go to the state championships. Her best friend is Leon, uh, an awesome, cool, laid-back surfer. Um, and this book has environmental themes of climate change and mainly puberty as well, just growing up, getting that first period and just figuring out your relationships as you start high school. Just the small issues then, just getting your first period, yeah. puberty and climate change, like nothing too big. <laughs> but let's throw in a little bit of mindfulness and that she talks to Buddha as well. And yeah, like, you know, nothing, so pretty small issues in the big scale of things, Bim. Yeah, people, <laughs> people, often people say that I, I try to fit a lot of stuff in my books and it's true, you know, I like to, to do big issues alongside smaller stuff and... <laughs> Yeah, it's the full package. That's great because we'll have lots to talk about. Now, I do want to talk to you about the way it's written. So not only is this a really special book and the way, you know, it deals with all those amazing things that we're going to unpack in this interview, but it's written in verse. Tell me about this. I love it so much. Yeah, verse I started playing with about sort of five or six years ago and uh, my last book, The Little Wave, was also a verse novel but for a slightly younger readership. I just started doing it because I was reading a lot of verse and I just loved this, the style of it, how immediate it was, sort of short, sharp sentences, um, and I just started to play with it. And two of these books have come out as verse novels and I'm so thrilled because I think the form is really getting a lot of popularity at the moment um, and more and more people are coming to read verse novels and not getting put off by it. But really and you should never, I don't think, be put off by it because I think it sounds scarier than it is, but when you actually read it, it's actually so easy to read and flows so well. But that's what I wanted to ask you. When you're writing prose, you don't have to worry so much about the metre and the rhythm and the amount of syllables you've got in and the flow, but was that a real sticking point for you in writing this? Yeah, so I'm not a poet. I don't have any formal training in writing poetry. So it was a lot like fly by the seat of my pants, let's see what works. And I remember delivering the little wave to my publisher and she said, yes, yeah, some of this is verse and some of it really isn't. And so the journey was to figure out, you know, which bits we could keep and which bits we had to work on. Mm-hmm. I was given a, a verse specialist, someone who really understood it, as my editor. Wow. <laughs> yeah, his name was Mark McLeod. And so he really helped me find the poetry in, in each line. Um, and then bringing it over to Buddha, I think that it was it was less sort of poetic, that book. Um, I think, you know, as I started to make it a bit more of a hybrid novel, somewhere between narrative and verse. So, yeah, mm. kind of a novel in verse, I think. A verse specialist. I love that title so much. <laughs> how, does, how does one become a verse specialist? don't know but I'm hoping to become one so (laughs) everyone (laughs) to figure it out as well I love that I remember reading um and I taught as well when I was teaching The Simple Gift by Stephen Herrick and I just adored that verse novel so much and the kids adored it too because they just really got it you know and it was just beautifully put and the story there's nothing lost from the story by putting it in verse so ever since I read that such a big fan of verse novels yeah, I mean, Stephen Herrick is a master mm. of this. And certainly I read it, a heap of his stuff as well. Um, and I really liked a, a novelist called uh, Sarah Crossan, who's an Irish-UK 
first novelist and she had, she's got some beautiful novels out, yeah. See, I love it. I really love it and I love just something a little bit different as well. I mean, I read a lot of books a year and so <laughs> when, when you get something a little bit different, you really take notice of it. So, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Also, it's a really quick read, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, you know, it looks thick but you sit down and it takes no time to read it. So yeah. That verse as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because if you were read to as a child, if you're reading your kids' books, a lot of them, you know, picture books have that beautiful verse and sometimes there's rhyme, etc. And so I think as humans, we really get that rhythm. And once you get it in your head and you start reading it either to yourself or aloud, you can just fly through it, I think. Yeah, a lot of kids say that to me. They're like, at first I didn't really understand it and it was a bit weird and it looked weird on the page. And then, you know, after about 10 or 20 pages, they're yeah, in. Absolutely. Gotta, yeah. But, but I think that's the same with all sort of non-standard-ish texts that you're not used to, right? Because I love the classics and stuff. But every time I open a Jane Austen novel, which I love Jane Austen, it takes me three chapters to get back into, you know, the prose and into the world. But once you're in, you're in and you're loving every single moment. But every time I open it, I'm like, oh, how am I not used to this before? You know, how am I not used to this yet? And three chapters, <laughs> yeah. you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. Took me another three chapters. I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Now, there is a nod to Judy Bloom. I mean, obviously her famous novel, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, um, by Judy Bloom. I mean, I grew up reading Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom is one of the reasons that I loved books so much. Tell me about this sort of nod to her. Yeah, it's pretty brave, isn't it, having a, a title that <laughs> is a nod to a Judy Bloom classic, but not just a classic, but a book that's been so challenged and banned and loved, you know, and hated. Um, yeah, we discussed whether that title would stay, but we thought it was such a nice nod to Judy and that work. Um, yeah, I thought it needed a bit of an update as well, that sort of story, um, you know, in Judy's book, Margaret talks to God and my character talks to Buddha. Um, <laughs> and, she, and, you know, the, the girl, Margaret, is worried about things like, you know, what religion to follow might be. She's worried about climate change and, you know, whether she'll actually have a world to, to grow up in and have a family in. Um, the world has changed so much since 1970 when Judy's book first came out. Um, so this, I would consider this a bit of an update. Mm-hmm. Very different books. I did actually do a bit of a read-along of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, with my 11-year-old. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we read it together and um, sort of commented throughout the book. It was really interesting to see, you know, how she read it and how I read it. Mm. Personal attachment to the book because I read it, you know, as a teen, tween. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think. I haven't gone back to read Judy Bloom and I'm often scared to go back to read books that you loved, particularly because, you know, obviously I'm not a teenager anymore. So you know, will I still love it? And I want to feel like I still love it. You know, So it's often scary to go back to those books that, that you once loved because you're in a, such a different place that maybe that was the book for that time. You know, so I'm exactly. always really scared to go back to those books that I love, but I might have to because she was a big part of my reading life as well. <laughs> I think you should. I mean, it's a really sweet kind of um, gentle book and uh, I really enjoyed reading it. And the voice of Margaret is so strong and I think why it's worked for 50 years. Yeah, but I love how you said that really controversial and, you know, back then in the 70s. And it's so funny because my mum used to just buy me those books and oh, she had no idea what they were about. <laughs> I know, like forever, I don't think would be published today. It is so racy. <laughs> and I 
love that. She was like, oh, Judy Bloom, you know, she's a popular sort of tween, teen author. So I mean, she just used to buy me all the books. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> what about your mum? That's so good. I actually heard from a friend the other day who said that she went to um, borrow I got it to be Margaret from the school library. And the librarian looked at her and said, no, that's not for you. And put it down under the, yeah. Under the counter and she couldn't borrow it. And you know what? That just makes you want it more. <laughs> Don't you reckon? Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're stealing that from yeah. the next library you go to. Right? You are. You're <laughs> definitely getting your hands on that book. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that was the librarian sort of trick. <laughs> now, like we said, you tackle so many topics in this book and I really love how you sort of changed it up a little bit, I mean, we're not comparing, but you're looking at, you know, climate change because that's a very obviously, you know, important issue with us today and and that sort of, you know, brings a new, um, I guess, angle to kids reading it as well because, you know, they're going to have to be thinking about these things for, like, the world hopefully they will be able to get to live in. So how did all these ideas come to you? I mean, we talked about packing them all in and then how did you then go about, right, how do I do all of this in one verse novel? You know, it's not even, it's prose, like it's less words, I'm assuming. Um, yes. So how did, you, how did you do this? How did I do this? Yeah, I mean, it's much less words, actually. So compared to your average YA novel is around, you know, 65,000, 70,000 words. Mm-hmm. And this is only, I think it ended up at around 33, wow. 34. Mm-hmm. So literally half the amount mm-hmm. of words. You have to just be really economical with what you're trying to say. I was about to say the words are probably working harder though, right? They're working so much harder. There's no excess. There's no mm-hmm. extra. And so that's what, what makes editing a verse novel really tricky. Um, both of my verse novels were really hard to edit. Not so hard to write. I can't, they flowed quite well when I was writing them. Um, how did I do it? I don't know. I just get into it, into the world. And then it starts to layer and it's like a big puzzle and you're trying to figure everything out um, and, and you end up with a really complicated work. <laughs> like a complicated work feel easy to read and feel mm. like it flows and it's not too much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I did this, uh, some of this book I wrote on a May Gibbs fellowship. Mm-hmm. So May Gibbs, the very famous government yeah. author. Um, there's a there's some money that she left behind, and so writers can go to apartments. It used to be in Brisbane, Adelaide, or Canberra, but I think now it's just Adelaide. And they invite, say, I think it's eight or twelve authors or illustrators to come and do a work. And so I really wrote a lot of Buddha on that retreat because it was um, mm. four weeks alone in an apartment. Oh. By wow. Myself. <laughs> wow. How was that? I mean, I imagine you could yeah. get a lot of work done, but how was that, you know, in terms of mental health and those kind of things? Four weeks, it's a long time by yourself. So interesting that you should bring up mental health because it was a challenge. So I was climbing the walls. I was very lonely. Um, I was sort of riding ferries by myself on the Brisbane River, <laughs> just feeling like it was such a challenge to do mm. that. And, you know, you're given this amount of time, but whether you feel creative in that amount of time or you yeah. feel really, you know, oppressed. And, um, yeah, so it was a challenge, definitely. Um, what helped was they left a book behind where each fellow writes quite a detailed account of their own experience. Wow. Yeah, and Siobhan Plotter, I think that's how yeah. I say her second name, she was the one that was, like, directly um, behind me. And so wow. I read her report and she was really honest about how much she did struggle with writing her book during her May Gibbs. 
yeah, and that really helps me, I think, to just realise that everyone goes through it, you know, it's hard and eventually you do, you know, create something. Mm. Yeah. And creativity is one of those weird things where you can't force it. You know, if you're going to do your taxes, you can go, right, I'm going to do my taxes and you just do it even though it's boring and you don't feel like it. But you can't control creativity like that. You can sit down and try and write and it's coming or it's not. You know, and when exactly. you've got four weeks alone and it's not coming to you, what what did you do to fuel that creativity? I did do a lot of walking. I ate like a ton of chocolate. There was oh, this perfect! Rocky Road, <laughs> <laughs> like Rocky Road, tons of tea, lots of walks. I would it just sounds like my normal day, Pip. <laughs> right. So I would start in the when I when was my best time to write. I would find that, and that was usually in the morning. So. Mm-hmm sort of eight o'clock in the morning and 10 and then I would go for a walk and I might come back and do a bit of editing in the afternoon but generally it was really only like a couple of hours a day so I wasn't smashing it all day long mm-hmm. and I met up with a lot of like the Brisbane literati <laughs> they're amazing so I, yeah I met up with like Megan Daly and a, a bunch of people who are doing cool stuff in Brisbane around children's literature. That's good so you were allowed out you were allowed to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> So that's good. It wasn't like a quarantine writing retreat. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't allowed to go into state. So I had flown to Singapore, so it was really hard because my sister was in mm. I wanted to go and see her and my mum was in Melbourne, um, but I really did have to stay in my apartment in Brisbane mm. to work. It's interesting, though, because when you're in real life, you're like, I just want time to write. I just want time to write. And then you've got all this time to write and you're like, ooh, <laughs> that's all oh, the time, time to, to write. write. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is when I start doing cleaning and- really like mad hobbies that take procrastinating yeah 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 those those windows are looking pretty dirty (laughs) (laughs) exactly now why was this book an important book for you to write I mean you talk about puberty and first periods and relationships Mm -hmm. and resilience and I'm actually really interested now I've just added another question to my question with the world changing so much what do you say to teenagers about puberty and first periods. That's going to be a lot different to what they were saying about it in the 70s. Yeah, well, in the 70s, it was like, you know, you had a belt to attach your pad to and things like that. And uh, seriously, that was in the first edition. Wow. Yeah, it was me, Margaret, for example. Um, And there just wasn't a lot of literature around periods and puberty. Um, Yeah, I kind of like went back, you know, into like looked at what kids were talking about and what they were using, like, you know, period undies are really big now. So, Mm. you know, investigating those, ordered some to try with my daughter. (laughs) You know, looking at things like diva cups, which, you know, much more environmentally friendly, like a kid's more interested in using those. Um, Yeah, so that was interesting to kind of update myself on. Mm what's going on in that space at the moment and also I think kids are not so shy not so ashamed like mm. in, in back in the day it was a shameful thing it was very taboo to talk about being on your period or having it yeah and now I think there's a lot more acceptance you know you see ads where girls are in their bonds period undies you know doing dancing and talking about it really openly and yeah. I, I right yeah. It is. It's so refreshing. And I've tried to sort of bring my kids up with it's your body. It's mm-hmm. does a beautifully wild job every day to keep you alive and things happen to your body and that's just life, you know, and it, it's not weird. It's not shameful. It's not something that you don't talk about. So I've been really open with that because I think, I think it's hard enough being a teenager without then having to be worried about your period and worried about all these things happening to you. Like, 
your body is an amazing amazing thing and you know I think we should celebrate it not shame it absolutely and I think that's you know B starts off like not wanting a period and and well we can all relate to that (laughs) (laughs) right yes you know she begs for her period not to arrive and she's really angry about that when it does um not giving anything away really and then (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and then she comes to peace with it and, you know, finds her strength and, and sort of deals with it, you know, in, in the most unlikely of settings where you really wouldn't want to have your period <laughs> at the state swimming championship. So, yeah. Yep. I can, yeah, I can, I can understand that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you were saying with all, you know, the environmentally options, environmentally friendly options, et cetera, I mean, that's fantastic, but it's almost so many options now that I guess that's where it can probably become a little bit overwhelming for young girls, do you think? Yeah, I think so. It's it's bewildering out there, you know, mm. options. Um, but thank goodness there are so many Yeah, options. yeah, fantastic. I was literally given a pad, you know, that was like a huge pad, really, <laughs> and that was kind of it, you know. There were no <laughs> wings and there were no, you know, drawing liquid away from me and all that stuff. That and no, no trivia on them either. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was the dark ages, right? No no hot facts that you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know the butterflies did that. That's cool. (laughs) I haven't seen those. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what brand it is, but they're, you know, you open them up and there's lots of little little facts on it. It's very interesting. You can learn as you on your period. Um, I'm so glad we're talking about this openly and I hope listeners are really on board with this as well. Yeah, me too. that I hope that um, boys find this book as well. I've had mm. some male booksellers and, and people say to me that they hope that boys will read it and kind of get more of an insight into what girls are going through puberty, yep. what they're thinking and what's happening to their bodies. Yeah. Um, and also, it's, like, it's very important, I think, for boys yeah. and girls to know what is going on, you know, in each other's worlds. I think that's super important. I see that I have a, a boy and a girl and I try mm. and talk to them both about all sorts of things, including periods, because even if it's not happening to you, you still need to know things about the world. You definitely do, yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Sorry, my daughter just just walked through <laughs> and totally distracted me. <laughs> she was like, why is mum talking about all these things? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> now, there's, like, there, <laughs> there is also a relationship between mother and daughter and you know, the challenges of that relationship as well. And I think I always think the mother-daughter relationship is so amazing because, I mean, you've got a daughter yourself and you can become best friends, but there's also some there's some complexities to that relationship as well. I hear, I don't, I haven't experienced it really, but I hear that it can be a complex relationship. So tell me about the relationship between mother and daughter in your book. So there are sort of two mothers in this book. Um, one is a, the real mother, the birth mother of B, and she's uh, left the family home and has gone to India to study in an ashram. And that's sort of five year, four or five years prior uh, to start where you start in the book. And so B is still coming to terms with that and that her mother keeps letting her down, keeps saying, yeah, I'm going to come back to Australia, I'm going to be there for you, and, and just keeps cancelling um, and she, so she's not a great parent, um, fair to say, but she has a really great parent in her stepmom, Kat, who's there for her and is really on the ground with her, trying to understand her, buy her, you know, her first bra, 
you know, makes her a little period pack for her bag, which accidentally <laughs> falls out of her bag on the bus. Uh, but, yeah, stepmom cat, um, you know, Bee's really pushing back against that mm-hmm. whole thing, yeah. But I like the idea of families um, being found in different places, you know, and I feel that, you know, with her, her best friend as well, and I really like the idea of a male-female friendship. So <laughs> I like how you've explored that families can be found in different places, you know, with a, a mum that's not your biological mum, with a friend you know, who is different to you. So I really like that idea. Is that something that was really important for you to explore? Yeah, definitely. I'm so interested in blended families um, with this and also the relationship between a step-parent and a a stepdaughter. And that was the heart of the story, I think, that I was looking for. And when I was on that retreat that I was telling you about, I was like, oh, it's about Kath and B. (laughs) That's the whole you know, heart of the book. And once I'd found that, it became so much easier mm. the rest of the book. Um, and it is about her relationship with Leon as well, Leon being so slightly older, 13, 14, cool surfer. Um, and he, he's just lovely as well, such a generous, kind kid. Um, yeah, I love him so much. Someone said I should write a book about Leon. Oh, yeah, like, a, like another version of that's a great idea. Yeah. I like that. Like I'm a companion? Yeah, yeah, like a companion for sure. I can see that. Yeah, something for the boys. I don't know. We'll see. You know, books take time. (laughs) They're a big commitment. Another another four weeks locked in your your apartment writing. Four weeks weeks and two years, roughly. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Nothing. Easy. (laughs) And I think it's interesting, that relationship between mother, stepmother and, and stepdaughter, because in literature, in fairy tales, stepmothers get a really bad rap. Don't they? They're always like, you know, evil. I'm trying to kill evil you. Laughs and, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, they do get a bad rap. And Kat is so gorgeous in this book. You know, she just tries so hard to connect with B um, and fails, but, you know, keeps trying again. And I wanted to present Kat as, as this really lovely woman who's trying her best, um, mm. you know, has inherited a slightly cranky doesn't really understand and they're very different as well you know Kath likes to go to Zumba classes and have coffee with her friends um, and she's very girly and B is very you know athletic and <laughs> likes to go surfing and swimming yeah so they're super different mm-hmm. and it's about how they can find that you know that common ground that connection yeah because yeah. you don't have to have everything in common to have a connection I think connections are, are deeper and a bit more magical than that you know something you can't always put your finger on yeah, that's so nice, magical. Yeah. Think, yeah. I like that. You can't always define things, you know, and I think when you click with someone, you just click with someone and you can try and understand why, but sometimes you can't and it just is. It just is what it is. I like yeah. that idea. Mm. Yeah. My sister used to say, you know, you meet someone from your ancient tribe and they were all scattered off, you know, in different directions, but sometimes you meet someone who was part of that original tribe. Oh. Yeah, so she has a bunch of, she had a bunch of friends called her tribe. (laughs) Mm, I love that, isn't it? Nice when you do find your tribe. (laughs) It's cool. It's cool. You know right away, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, you do. You do. Absolutely. It's like um, platonic soulmates. I was talking about this before that everyone talks about romantic soulmates, but I think platonic soulmates exist. You know, those people that are just, you know, they become your friends for life and they really get you and things like that. So I really like the idea of that. I do too, yeah. I was lucky actually living as an expat away from Australia to find so many of those um, soulmates 
mm. over in Asia. Yeah, just just people who have like just moved to the, to Singapore from all over all over the world. Yeah. And there is magic in it because you meet a lot of people in your life, and you're like, oh yeah, they're fun, they're cool, they're nice, and you go, wait, you're my people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's a different yeah. level, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different 100%. level. Of, yeah, it's a different yeah. level of connection, and that is pretty magical, I reckon. Yeah, quite um, often those people for me are book people. Yes, <laughs> book people. <laughs> it's funny that you know, but that's because books are magic too, Pip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they sure are. <laughs> now, not only have you got all these amazing, important, incredible issues packed into this beautiful verse book, you've also got the backdrop of bushfires and smoke haze and water restrictions just because you wanted a little bit more pressure on your characters. So tell me about yeah. this, the backdrop and the setting and how that added to the characters. I remember my friends in my writing group in Singapore said, bushfires, really? You've got already got a lot going on. And it's like, no, no, I can make it work, I swear. <laughs> um, I think because, you know, it was around the time of the bushfires that I was starting to, to get towards, you know, the end of the book. But really before that as well, I was starting to think about how hot it was, how dry it was and how the climate was changing and how that might impact young people and, and how they, you know, are moving through the world. Um, and it just, just became really, like a really important thing to include in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some elements of, of that also in the little wave, um, you know, how we treat our oceans and, you know, ocean conservation. Yeah, so I'm starting to think about it more. And I think, you know, kids are really impacted by what's going on in the planet at the moment. Absolutely. And I'm glad that they are engaged in that because I think there was, you know, a time when people weren't engaged in that as much as we probably should have been. So I think it's really important that, you know, our young people and us get engaged in that now because um, no time like the present, I think, to be no. doing that. <laughs> and, look, honestly, they're going to save us from this mm. mess we're in. You know, they're the ones. Sorry to hear about that. No pressure. No pressure. But, you know, I feel like Gen X kind of inherited it and we're like, oh, what do we do about this? And I feel like... Look the, to the children. Yeah, the children. We'll have children who can save us. <laughs> exactly. Good plan. Good plan. <laughs> now, people, I don't think I got to ask you this question way back in episode 39 because I probably hadn't thought of it at that point but now it's the question I ask every guest who comes onto the podcast why do you write well it's such a big question isn't it it is it's a really I big question my, my answer would have been different you know three mm. than I, think, now. I, I think it is I'll let you in on a secret that I've oh been, you've got it when I, I do have multiple guests you know come on mm-hmm. well sorry I'd have guests who come on multiple times and sometimes mm-hmm. I tweak the question a little bit you know why do you keep writing or why do you write today or whatever but I, I do get different answers because, and even if they've answered it before, because it depends on the day. It depends on what they've, the experience they've just had writing their book. But it also depends on, you know, the time in between that I've asked them because things have changed and they've learnt more or, you know, life has changed. So I think it's a question that you can keep on asking every time you see someone because the answer can change and can evolve it's a really interesting question in that way it's an interesting question I think it's like a conversation that I want Mm. to have for the rest of my life um you know as I figure things out I'm both talking to my readers talking to myself and talking to the characters and letting them work things out does that make sense yeah totally and that's what we do it's an ongoing conversation yeah absolutely and that's why I think the question is also an ongoing conversation because it evolves depending on you know where you're at the experience you've had and 
the reason we do the things we do, the reasons can change and evolve. So I think that's why it is interesting. Yeah, and I think my characters are teaching me and talking to me as well. Uh, you know, they're doing their thing, kind of following on sometimes and learning from them. I love that. Quite woo, but it's kind of how I feel sometimes. So we love love woo. We just talked about magic, <laughs> finding your soulmates. Yeah, we're all over it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this it's a book about, you know, a girl who talks to Buddha. So I mean, Exactly. I, I was just about to say that. <laughs> The book is called Are You There, Buddha? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Pip, for sharing some more time with me. Like I said, I can't believe the last time we spoke was, you know, three years ago now. Um, is, that, is my maths correct? <laughs> About three yeah, years ago. Did you miss me? No. I, I did. I, I did. But I've seen you on social, so that was nice. Um, that's how you do, you know, you see people on socials and then you interview them again. It's like no time has passed, not a lot of time. Yeah, but, yeah, right. it's been lovely to chat with you and I love how we've just had this really open, frank conversation about all the important things in your book and I hope that um, we can keep doing that and people keep being comfortable doing that because I think they're really important things to, to have conversations about. So thank you. Thank you, Danny. I really enjoyed the conversation too. Yay, yay for honesty. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Danny B Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.